Hello and welcome everybody back to Eyes of the Mize. My name is John and that's... You're not Ian. Yes, this is Carrie. How's it going? It's going pretty well, Carrie. We have Carrie back because this is episode 38. Uh, Keep Calm Carries On, uh, Storytime with Vronos. I was very pleased with that pun. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I named myself after a dead character anyway, so there, there we go. go. Um, for those of you who remember, last week Ian said that he was at, going to be at Desert Bus for Hope, which is going on right now. In yes. fact, by the time you're listening to this on Thursday morning, they will have auctioned off some great prizes like uh, foil uncut sheets. Uh, here recently, they're going to be giving away an entire four of standard set on Magic Online, which is going to be hilarious. And they have a bunch of other stuff. You should definitely go check them out. The run's going to go until probably midday Friday. That's yeah. That's the hope, at least. I've been able to watch them a few of the earlier nights, but nothing tonight for this. Aw. Yeah. Well, there is always the the Video Strike team, which does a fantastic job of chronicling all the crazy that goes on at Desert Bus. Yes. I've seen a few of the highlights on the feed. <laughs> uh, there's even Ian drinking balsamic vinaigrette, which was really weird. Ooh. <laughs> it doesn't... <laughs> It is not appetizing. That, that I, makes I, me physically sick just thinking about it. So. Yeah, that's there you go. Whew, the things you do for the children. Yes. But Carrie's here because we are going to talk all about the Kaladesh story because Carrie is our resident Vorth- Vorthos expert. And almost anticipating this, for Story Wednesday, they just put up an entire summary of yes. the stories. Yeah. Um, that highlights most of the key points. Um. It's worth checking out. It's on the mothership. Um, but yeah, we're just going to run through most of the episodes that were released in the Kaladesh story and talk about what we think. <laughs> yeah. There will be a link to the whole recap in the description. So if you want to yes. go there, they have links to every story, including a link to uh, Chandra's origin story, Fire Logic, which I highly recommend. Yes, worth checking out, probably before you dig into it, because some of the PNLR stuff oh, yes. requires the context. So, Carrie, you are the expert. Let's go ahead and dive on in to Homesick. Hi. Um, Homesick was very first episode of the Kaladesh um, season, and we got to see the Gatewatch kind of hanging out at the Ravnica headquarters. Um, Chandra and Liliana were watching Nissa and Gideon sparring in the courtyard, um, and then all four of them met up in, with Jason as library to meet with Dovin Bon, who had traveled from Kaladesh looking for help with his renegade problem. Um, bon explained most of this, most of the stuff that was happening on Kaladesh, the inventor's fair and the rebel threat that it was interrupting most of the activities. Um, Chandra leaves abruptly. Um, yeah. And then the gatewatch determines that they can't really help because it's a, likely a plane bound threat and not a planeswalker. And those are kind of the rules, but he's invited to stay for dinner. I yeah. mean, uh, hospitality is always wonderful to show to the people who travel. I mean, I know planeswalking is is tiresome. And he's just as like uncomfortable about it. But yes. I don't know if it's like running like a hundred meter dash or a marathon or. Yeah, they've there's a nice um, equation for it, which is just basically like mana concentration and time, and that's the way I think of it. Because if you have a balance of all three, then you're getting the stable one. If you're deficient in any one of them you're probably getting a little sick afterwards. And um, then Chandra hangs out with Nisa. There's some flirting that happens, or that's how most people read it. 
Um, Lavinia reports back to Jace, Bon, and Gideon that Liliana and Chandra had planeswalked away from Ravnica. They all assumed that they had gone to Kaladesh, but um, they wanted somebody to check it out, and Nisa volunteers herself. Yeah, I really enjoyed the little um, Nissa interlude because in Homesick we had um, Chandra's or we had Chandra's point of view. No, we had Lily's point of view, Chandra's point of view, then Nisa's point of view. Yes, and, and it just shifts throughout. Um, I was happy with the story overall. It was the first um, story by a new author, Chris Gatoy, I believe. That's I'm his last name. I'm I don't want to butcher that too terribly. Um, but yeah, he's a newcomer to the story team. Um, he's jammed a lot of information into that story. Uh, isn't uh, Chris Latoy um, the person who they brought in from um, from in or from N Seven or not from N Seven from the Mass Effect series? Yes, Mass Effect yes. franchise. Um, yeah, but he making a big splash here. So basically, why this story is kind of important to like very invested Vorthos is. It has tons of timeline dates that we would have never known about because that's not usually their way of going about this stuff. Um, you start off the story by establishing that it's three months since the finale of Eldritch Moon. Um, he mentions that Liliana's age is 228 years old. He sets Agents of Artifice um, novel at four years prior to the present. Um, and then Nisa and Chandra each get respective little age bits in there. Yeah, aside from like... Uh, Konzatark here where timelines really mattered there like yeah. go a thousand years in the past thousand years back to the present the magic timeline is pr- used to be before now pretty just kind of like how long is it how old are these people how old are yeah. these characters there are scattered dates across many many resources and he's seems to be actively doing work to include those in his stories so i applaud him for that oh obviously especially for who want to nitpick the nitpickers um, yeah I mean, not everything's wonderful. going to line up. There have been varying accounts throughout the years, but we get, we're getting, we're with the new era of storytelling, we're kind of solidified into dates that everyone mm-hmm. can agree on. Yeah. Also, uh, oh, also this story, what I liked was it also gave more characterization outside of, oh, you're angry, so you're going to cast your spells or whatever. It gave a lot it, of it was, the downtime. It was nice to see them in relaxation and not in battle. Or yeah. not, like, tense situations. As tense. I mean, Chandra clearly has um, a whole lot going on in this story, so... Well, she is the main character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, next, a time for innovation. Um, just straight on to Kaladesh. We're right before the Inventors Fair um, with Rashmi and her assistant, Mitul, I believe. Yes. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and they're experimenting with a matter transporter. And after what can safely be assumed to be 886 or 886 unsuccessful tests, they managed to transport a vase across the room, which is massive. Oh yeah. It's big for people who want to speculate. Um, their submission was missing a piece. They go and find Sahili Rai after failing at the marketplace. They go and find Sahili Rai, ask her to help. She's willing to help, but then she finds out the nature of it and how it interacts with the blind eternities and refuses to help. Um, Sahili goes to the arena and spars with some other inventors, um, and then she eventually does some self-reflection and realizes she shouldn't be placing restrictions on Rashmi. So she returns with the filament, um, ends up with a, a successful test, and then schedules the date with Padim. Yeah, and this is the only time that we've seen Padim in the story up to date. Yes. I guess 
all we know about about Padim is that she's just kind of she used to be kind of big into the underground fighting ring and now she's has a high position in the consulate. Yes. And she gets the exchange of tickets to that underground fighting ring uh, <laughs> for having the event set up with her. Yeah. Um, so why this story is important is it's showing the potential for um, planar portals. Yeah, well, I mean, planar transportation that isn't planeswalkers. Yeah, because the, the big comment after the story was, do you want to get Phyrexians? Because this is how you get Phyrexians. <laughs> exactly. Well, you the only historical precedent this has had post-mending is um, in the webcomic Gathering Forces. Um, you had Venser trying to assemble a planar ship, but he doesn't end up getting to do that because he's dragged away to Mirrodin and ends up passing away. Um, and so what this represents is kind of the potential for it in the future, but obviously there's a big difference between transporting inorganic matter to the same plane and transporting organic matter across planes. So I think one thing this it's story a nice, does... Oh, it's a nice story seed, that was all? Yeah, yeah. I like how they're trying to... You know, we have this continuous story thread throughout all these stories now because we have the Gatewatch moving from plane to plane. And helping us make us care about Kaladesh, they add in this, this little extra story, which they didn't need to do the story at all, but it adds some more uh, planar intrigue that's just tied to Kaladesh that might not necessarily go anywhere else, but has the potential to. Well, they did this with um, the big mystery surrounding Anastrad was setting up false leads as much as you could, and then ultimately having it be Emrakul. So this is a nice false lead, whether it false lead for Kaladesh, because everyone knows they can't actually jam Phyrexians into Aether Revolt. Um, yeah, and the idea of it is good to have around because... It represents something we haven't seen post-mending and actually kind of functioning. Yeah. Um, so... Next story, Torch of Defiance. Yes. Um, Chandra is home, finally. Um, she was looking for the renegade leader that Dovin Bond had told them about, um, and Liliana had ended up following her. She initially fears that it's just to drag her back to Ravnica, but Liliana's kind of encouraging her to fulfill whatever mission she wants to have here. Um, and so she gets some story background on that. Um, Liliana angers consulate guard, um, gets the two of them chased. They end up upon the mosaic of Kieran Nalar. Now this, this uh, entire se section was kind of, was really moving. And I think it really kind of showed how, well, Liliana and Chandra are, you know, red and black planeswalkers. And those are colors that are usually kind of have a similar philosophy. And I like how seeing the Kieran mosaic kind of helped push Chandra more towards just kind of being like the general red philosophy of this is like, this is someone who I love. This is my father. Um, and I want to honor his memory versus just go towards Liliana's complete nihilism. Yes. <laughs> um, she doesn't have very much to care about. And um, they end up stumbling upon after a little train ride, they end up stumbling upon a hooded figure who they believe to be the renegade leader they follow the hooded figure down an alleyway but it ends up leading them to the renegade leader hooded figure ends up being tazaret and the renegade leader ends up being pia nalar chandra's mother who was believed to be dead but wasn't really so this just kind of reinforces um, the idea that if you don't see them die on camera they're not really dead is that fair yeah to say? and that was the big thing for Sanja's origin fire logic yeah we got Kieran dying on camera and then kind of obvious plant with um Chandra happening upon her mother's shawl 
believing her to be dead and then dragging on the story to Kaladesh where she ends up being revolution leader. Um, then the whole thing about Tezzeret was that believed to be dead for the most part. Um, at the end of the Agents of Artifice novel, um, Jace had mind wiped him of all information needed to run the consortium and then just left him for dead. Um, in the next story, Renegade Prime, or no, it's future, further on. It's not until release that we find out the fate of that. Yes. Um, but the next story, Renegade Prime, um, begins with a flashback of Pia being held in the prison cell and taunted by Brawl. She was believed execution, but we all know it was her spark ignition. Mm. Um, then it skips to recent times where she was organizing a resistance against the consulate. And they had cut off Aether to districts and added restrictions to um, certain areas and certain job opportunities that um, existed on Kaladesh. And so she's trying to gather a rebellion. Right, and the rebellion is looking at this because I know another co- another commentary that's been said on Kaladesh is that it's really trying to represent this kind of post-scarcity society. Um, and I think it was in this story or sometime earlier where they mentioned how it's been like 60 years since the big Aether boom. Yes. Um, and but we have these renegades who are they they don't like that the con- how the consul is distributing the ether. Yeah, and Dovin Bond said it was equal by the terms of the consulate, but obviously it's not equal if a district has gone dark for the last thirty days on ether. But yeah, um, then skipping even further gets us to meeting up with the end of the tortured defiance story, where Pia ends up giving herself up to consulate custody. Chandra and Liliana escape and encounter Nisa, who had come after them um, to Kaladesh. Nisa scolds them for um, a bit of recklessness, and Liliana departs. Um, Chandra and Nisa happen upon a vendor in the streets who ends up being Miss Pashiri, who is a returning character from Chandra's origins. Yes, I mean, the fact that we got a, a Ovia Pashiri card after the fire logic story was a complete surprise, at least to me. I don't know if you were anticipating anything yeah. along those lines. I, I was not. I mean, I track flavor text level characters um, for the most part. So I'm aware of um, smaller things like Luke Bruce Tarl and um, stuff that had happened in the commander product. And I generally knew where they were from, but Ovia returning in Kaladesh was not anticipated at all. <laughs> all right. Well, after, that was at the end of Renegade Prime. After that, we get uh, probably one of the most heralded stories of the entire blah or the entire set, which was uh, Born of Ether. Yeah. Um, you get a non-Gatewatch view of Kaladesh for once so far, um, or not as involved with the Gatewatch as the prior stories had been. Um, follows the Aetherborn Yahini um, as they go throughout um, Final Days. I don't want to say final days because it's more of like final 60 days to a month. Um, but she's hang or they're hanging at the party and meet up with Dapala, who happens to be there. Um, and then visitors arrive in the form of Pashiri, Chandra, and Nissa. Um, and then later a consulate guard. Oh man. I mean, this so, entire story. Yeah. So the whole thing is these Etherborn. Um, throwing these kind of celebratory parties. And Yahini has scheduled her next party following the Inventor's Fair. So I kind of hope that they end up doing it since the end of the Kaladesh story is at the end of the Inventor's Fair. I kind of hope it carries into Aether Revolt, but whether she 
um, survives that long is something else. Well, I mean, uh, the interesting thing with the Etherborn is that they are literally the byproduct of the big ether boom of the ether refineries yes. and how I mean, I don't want to call them elementals because they aren't, but they are they have a really short lifespan and Yuhini is four years old, I believe, is what the story says. And Etherborn don't give up beyond five. Yeah. So she can either essence drain um other creatures to get some of that time dread. What is it? Essence drain or essence extraction? I think it's called essence extraction. I'm looking at yeah. the story. Um so she can do or they can do that and end up with more time, but um, it's a moral decision to do that. And so um, what ultimately happens is they question the guard who does arrive, and um, Yehini is able to determine that um, Pia is being kept in the Dund, and then Nisa proceeds to carry the man out over her shoulder. Which is... I love the fact that Nisa is just like actually just also just physically strong and not yeah. just a frail elf. I mean, just grab him and take him out of there, I suppose. I mean, he did come there alone, after all. Yeah. Um, and then moving on to Bottled Up. Bottled uh, Up. This was, this was probably the most tense of the stories that we've had. Yeah. Well, it does a lot of the development between Chandra and Nyssa that yes. we hadn't um, seen as much before, or as in-depth before. Like, Nyssa not considering Chandra to be a friend um, until the end of the story, obviously. And then, uh, so this actual plot of it is they head to Ganti's market and gain access to the prison where Pio is being kept, or so they believed. Um, but they kind of find out that this was too easy to figure out from the start. Um, and it ends up being a trap set by Baral, who is somehow still alive after being like burned to death at Chandra's ignition. Um, and so they get locked inside of a room called the Deadlock Trap by the card. Um, and that poison pours into the room. They know they have a way out through planeswalking, and Miss um, Bashiri insists that they do, but Nissa stays back. Chandra wants to go find her mom, but ultimately ends up staying back. So it's more of a, we dragged you into this mess. We're not going to weasel our way out of it. I mean, that's a big character moment for planeswalkers, because, again, up to this point, up before the Gatewatch even, planeswalkers have been the people who have just left. Yeah. He's like, oh, this plane's in trouble, gotta go. And here's a moment where these two planeswalkers are willing to die with uh, a planer, a plane-bound individual. Yeah, and it is called the Gatewatch. Um, and it's Jace saying, I've heard it said that a planeswalker is someone who can always run from danger, but Gideon's right, we're also the ones who can choose to stay. Yes. And that's exactly what I thought of in that moment. Um, it's great to see them committing to something although it doesn't last long as the next story's name is release <laughs> release uh, is probably my favorite and yeah it's another one of chris's stories it's another let's add more timeline dates in there and let's add more connections and callbacks to other stories so it's just chock filled with everything that uh, can works. i just say i think chris Latoya did a fantastic job because i didn't realize who the narrator was until after oh yeah and that's i i entirely was like quite for this has to be the ajani story but is it ajani doing the is, is it ajani sneaking into the grandmother's home and why is he calling her grandmother and it's whole cascade of issues yeah um and so yeah ajani is on kaladesh making his way to grandmother's and then um there ends up being people there flashback to kamagawa um, he's talking with um, Tamiya in the time 
preceding Eldritch Moon. I believe um, that's the case. Yeah. And so he's talking to Tamio in that time, and her family is there. Um, he discovers about Tazaret and remembers him from Elspeth's letter to her letter to him about the events on Mirrodin, now New Phyrexia, and a whole bunch of story revelation, a whole bunch of characters added in that I'm not easily keeping track of. Um, yeah, and the end result is Ajani breaking them out of the deadlock trap. And something interesting that's revealed is he's not going to kill anymore. Yes. It wasn't really his mission from the start. Um, his origins are kind of forgiving because he has um, another Leonin in his tribe who is responsible, being manipulated by Nicobolus, responsible for his brother's death. But he doesn't end up killing her in that moment um, and chooses to try to take down Nicobolus himself in the maelstrom. So here's that a question. Um, did Ajani and Tezzeret have any interaction during the Shard storyline? No. Um, there is misconception about that, I would like to say, is the cleanest way to put it. So the Shards block, if you look in the Shards of Alara style guide, they say, we got Planeswalkers for each Shard of Alara. And so you have Elspeth, um, Tezzeret, Ajani, Sarkin, and Nicobolas representing Gri Grixis. And so... They were all in Alara at the same time, except for Tezzeret. Tezzeret's story takes place prior to the events of Alara Black, and then um, he ends up as a pawn for Nicobolas. Bolas ends up putting him into the consortium. Um, Tezzeret takes over, except for the consortium, a large majority of it. Um, Tezzeret runs the consortium for a short amount of time, and then ends up meeting again with Bolas on Grixis before it has converged. So... His whole storyline kind of takes place outside of the other four planeswalkers there, but at the same time, it's still involved with Bolas and it's still involved with Grixis, so it was worth including. Um, it's a lot of timeline jargon for very little gain, but for all intents and purposes, he's outside of that timeline. Um, and yeah, he Ajani hasn't interacted with Tezzeret during that story. Um, he did get the letter from Elspeth, which is a, I believe, magic story article on the mothership, and I think it's like a letter to Ajani or something named yeah. similar to that. Um, but yeah, it was he ends up breaking them free and is familiar with Pashiri because he's a friend, and we move Presumably, on. Presumably, I'm presuming that Ovia was was um, his contact on Kaladesh yes. from like Tamio and whoever else is in the in their story circle, yes. as they put it. And knowing that Tezzeret is up to no good on that plane. Uh, Another uh, thing that I, that at least I found interesting is that uh, we got a mention of Narset for the first time yes. since cons. Um, it's complicated because, <laughs> yeah, she wasn't said to have left the plane on her spark ignition. And then at the end of Dragons of Tarkir, she's staying on the plane with Sarkin. But then she pops up in Tamiyo's story circle. And it was an inclusion by Chris regarding fan art of... Um, that I believe Sketchy Doodles had done on Tumblr, where it was Narset asking Tamio to tell her stories about the dragons. Ah. And so he included it. It kind of broke minor bits, but at the same time, nobody really expects a planeswalker to stay on their home plane forever. So it's not impossible for her to right. um, have met with Tamio and be involved with that story circle. Um, uh, moving on in this very arena, which was... <laughs> the best cliche name of all time, um, especially for that one scene in it. 
Um, oh, yes. It starts off with Rel and Jace on Ravnica. Um, Rel reveals that Project Lightning Bug had caught Vraska planes walking away from Ravnica without a destination. So for those of us who may not know, what was Project Lightning Bug? Because I know that might not be a... Um, it goes by that title under the Magic Story column, but it's a short story where it was basically a project tracking people coming in and out of Ravnica, ultimately was the goal. It was population tracking, and what had happened was Gideon was interfering with it when he was flashing back and forth between Zendikar and Ravnica. On Ravnica, he was trying to help um, Boros and the Guildless to an extent, and then on Zendikar, he was still trying to fight the Eldrazi threat. So flickering in between that world had brought up um, pretty much errors on it, and they still had to hide the existence of Planeswalkers from um, Niv-Mizzet, and it's a whole is a project, and it goes more in depth than they do it in the story. But yes, right. it is convoluted, and it tracking people's destination was something that was revealed in this story because we kind of assumed it was just flickering in and out, but he finds out that Vraska had planes walked without a destination, which is um, questionable. Troubling. Whether you can actually do that, yeah. Troubling is the appropriate word. Whether you can actually planes walk without a destination and live is... You can't live for that long in the Blind Eternities with a spark. You can't live at all in the Blind Eternities without a spark. So surviving there um, or making it hidden where you're going is not something that's usually done. So this is my speculation. Is I know that in older stories, at least pre-mending, I don't know if this is true post-mending, um, a lot of the authors created these constructions around the planes that prevented planeswalkers from getting to or leaving. Yes. Like, I know the original Ravnica story, they had, like, the guild pact was, like, literally blocking planeswalkers from coming yes. into Ravnica. To some extent. I can't remember what magic it was, but yeah, there was something keeping the planeswalkers out. So could it be, uh, an, could there be a plane that is just for some reason hidden? Like, I don't know if Bolas' meditation plane... Yeah, Bolas' meditation realm is the obvious one, because people assume it to be, like, a pocket plane. But at the same time, a Gyrum was believed to be... Um, a pocket plane to an extent because it was bubbled onto Ravnica during the original Ravnica block, and then the mon mending popped it off into what's assumed to be its own plane. I, see. Um, I don't know if we have any really good examples because it would make sense if um, like Soren's efforts were still holding up on um, Innistrad during that time. It would make sense for that to be enough of a planar protection for him to not be able to track it because Emrakul couldn't get in for those planar protections. But at the same time, it's planeswalking physics, so it's largely made up. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, whether Amonkhet has some kind of realm over it or um, way to prevent people from seeing it, it's likely, whether it's Bolas' meditation realm or Amonkhet, those are the two likeliest guesses. And then that would also add in story that Nebraska is... But then that would also add in Some that Vraska is collaborating. Yes. Um, I don't think Vraska's a villain. It's she's hard sorry. to discern because she's anti-Azorius, but based on her origins, the Azorius were dicks to her in the first place. So to be crude about it, they were um, imprisoning them without real reason. She seems pretty free agent. Yeah. But very looking out for her. Yeah. Sarkin was free agent at the time as well. So... <laughs> see how that ends up he's probably um, still on team dragon let's be real yeah i can't imagine you being happy with either of those because his whole thing was wanting to find like the ultimate dragon to worship 
and he found Bolas, was betrayed. He found Ugin, was largely ignored. Let down? Yeah, let down. Because it's like, congrats, you saved all dragons on your plane, but you still haven't really accomplished your goal. If he wanted a dragon plane, he could have just stayed on Jund. That's true. Um, and then, in this very arena, goes on um, to the cliche um, face-off between Pia and Tazaret in the arena. Um, I thought it was really funny that the banner for it was just like caps lock cruise control for the cool, where it's <laughs> yelling at you. I mean, I guess it makes an emphasis on the story, but yeah, um, Chandra reveals herself, the Gatewatch revealed himself in the dramatic reversal, and then they all start fighting. Um, Tezzeret ends up escaping, and it turns out everyone's equipment is gone. All of their I, precious I, inventions were scoured off the market. I did love how Tezzeret made the number one bond, bond villain mistake of beginning to monologue. Yeah, I mean, why? Why do you ever do that? I mean, he is a slimy enough villain for me to like him doing that because he's just absolutely terrible throughout Agents of Artifice and has been consistently terrible since then. But he is a very um, predictable person in that regard. Um, and then I also love that Chandra's just cut him off. It was like, no, yeah, we're fighting. Get <laughs> I mean, over it. That's how you get to the point really quickly. Um, Pia lives through it. So um, they get to hug. We move on to the very last story. Grateful Consulate. I mean, after last that last story in this very arena, this story seemed very least. It was control, which is yeah. how I imagine. Like, it just feels very tight and composed, which is what I'm fine with. I was fine with having the pivotal moment over with and us moving on to what Tezzeret is doing with those machines. Um, so Tezzeret has seized all the inventions. Um, the artificers who created the inventions aren't very happy with it. And Dovin Bond is trying to keep it down. Um, Tezzeret, I believe, retreats up into um, a tower. And yeah, Spire was the correct word for it. And um, he ultimately ends up taking the um, Rashmi's teleporter and giving Dovin Bond free reign over the rest of the equipment, which yeah. is kind of him. Um, uh, Dovin possibly with the matter train. And that's the thing. It's like, it's the obvious goal here. And... The way the player's guide had ended the story was um, Tezzeret had locked himself away with all the equipment, which makes sense because then you're building like some Voltron style Mega Gear Hulk that will smash down everyone for whatever reason you want to. But him ultimately ending up handing over most of the equipment and only taking the teleporter shows that he knows what it's capable of and um, understands what he's going to do with it. Tezzeret is a very skilled artificer. Yeah. And then the other question that came up from this is, is Dovin an enemy? Is he a willing accomplice or is he an unknowing stooge? I think as soon as you move into him having control over the weapons and immediately thinking of weaknesses, you kind of skew into the villain territory. Whether it'll actually pan out is for obviously the next story. But yeah, I mean, I don't imagine him doing much with the um, inventions. He just wants to keep the peace. Um, but whether he gets greedy with it or not, yet to be seen. Uh, greed, greed doesn't necessarily fall into one of the blue-white emotions, I imagine. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's Tezzeret is still, as far as we know, under orders from Bolas. 
what his goal was or whether his goal was specifically to get a matter transporter going is undecided, but it's a fun side effect for him being able to um, control most of the fair. Because I think we've seen Tezzeret in, well, originally Shards of Alar, where he was just trying to get into the Seekers. Yes. We saw him in Scars of Mirrodin, specifically Mirrodin Besieged, trying to curry favor with the Phyrexians on behalf of Bolas. Yes. And now he's here in a position of power, coveting all these art, all these inventions. It, it's a very predictable pattern for Tezzeret, it seems. Yes. Um, Tezzeret doesn't have the favor of the Phyrexians at the moment, whether he'll gain that again or whether he... Um, whether he has his own plans. This, the especially slimy thing about Tezzeret is that he started off as a servant of Bolas as the, in the Consortium. He then seized control of the Consortium and um, tried to, well, sp- successfully splintered it from Bolas's group, and then Bolas ended up losing that bit. But mind, after mind-wiping and recovering his body, he was able to have Tezzeret agent of Bolas again. So second time around, he goes to Phyrexia, and then Tezzeret starts trying to um, vie for the father of machine rules for himself, and then gets retracted back under Bolas's control, sent to a new plane in the corner of a multiverse to, assumingly what is Kaladesh, to fulfill another mission. So it's you've already lost control of this man, or almost lost control of him, seeing how dishonest he was twice. Are you going to give him planar portal technology to try to reconnect it for the third time i don't know i wouldn't risk him with it but we'll <laughs> yeah, find I out not, i would not trust Tezzeret as far as i could yeah he is i mean he's a good villain for that reason he is under the thumb of somebody he do he doesn't want to be under the thumb of um but like regretfully does his duty yeah and so that ties up the in all nine stories of the Kaladesh block, and I believe next week or the week after is when we finally start getting our Ether Revolt stories. The week of November twenty seventh. Okay, so we get them so, two weeks. Yes, one week of um, something, and then one week we'll get the next week. We'll have our a first Aether Revolt story. So you're the big you're the big Vorthos expert. You know more than probably most people do. What is your kind of big picture view on the Kaladesh story and in the vein of the whole multiverse. They did a adequate job of setting up the rebellion. So Aether Revolt has the rebellion that is going on. It's kind of but the the, Yeah. But it has the rebellion only on Kaladesh. Like clearly there is a disagreement with the consulate and I don't think it extends far past Kaladesh. We just get the plane bound conflict for Aether Revolt block, we have them chasing Tezzeret on the sidelines, probably Dovin Bun interfering some more, but for the most part, we're tied to Kaladesh for the Kaladesh story. What Tezzeret does with that teleporter and what he does with anything else um, what he when he eventually returns to Bolas is probably not encompassed in the Kaladesh story. So I kind of feel like it's a bridge to Amonkhet, which will eventually fulfill... Hopefully a whole bunch of loose ends. Um, One thing I did like is with BFZ and Shadows, they kind of reintroduced the Eldrazi and closed the Eldrazi. Yes. Maybe in too neat of a bow. Yes, it was a very quick bow. Yes, but they did tie that up. Sweep it all up in one year. And And it worked successfully, but we still have a whole bunch of loose ends that were... Well, one specific loose end that was generated from the Eldrazi was 
why did Nicol Bolas want them released in the first place? And now we're finally getting back to Bolas being a major character because yes. we're assuming we're going to get a Nicol Bolas card at some point during Amonkhet block. Yes. And we assume he's going to be a prominent player. Um, what exactly? Amonkhet is an entirely new world, as is Kaladesh. But Kaladesh at least has some predictability in the name. Um, you know that there's going to be a revolt. And you also know that the context of the black is we need a break from interplanar threats for once. Yeah. So we're going to take this break and we're going to have um, a conflict set almost entirely on Kaladesh, hang out there for a bit, gives Chandra um, a new story or an update to her existing story and um, try to weave back in Tezzeret. Um, Tezzeret was kind of a rogue agent for a while in the canon because he was involved in a novel that is um, not so good. <laughs> not so good and not so canon anymore. Um, and we had to move on from that, so he's reweaved into the story and um, has a role now, which is serving Bolas even more than he already was. So what's your, what was your favorite part about the story, least favorite about this? Um, favorite part is all those tasty timeline dates because I need them. I need them <laughs> desperately. There are weird things, like thinking that... Um, so in the Homesick story, which I'll bring up right now, they used a specific warding, which was two score years for Nyssa, which means two 20 years intervals... Um, one second. Yeah, that would be two score years. years. But her friend, her best friend, had her constant companion for two score years couldn't answer. So Nissa is referring to Ashaya, um, and she had been best friends with Ashaya for 40 years, which puts her at like 50, 50, 55 at the very least, because she looks like a teenager in her origin story, and then like probably 60ish at the high range. But well, I mean, she is an elf. Yeah. Elves traditionally age slow. Yes, but it's a little odd to think about that, especially in the light of um, people shipping Chandra and Nissa <laughs> together. You have a 20-something versus a 60-something who still looks 20-something because they're an elf. But at the same time, it's a little uncomfortable because I don't think many people would have guessed that it was 40 years that she had been with Ashaya um, prior to this or that she had even lived for 40 years yet. I mean, is that any weirder than 20-something Jace and 200 Liliana? Oh, yeah, that's a big difference. <laughs> I mean, you talk about Robbie the Cradle, but geez. Yeah, I, Liliana is um, something. And it was good to have that date because that gives you, with Liliana's date, especially because I'm all about these dates, is um, Liliana's date gives you a top end for how long ago the mending was. So you have her living for decades um, pre-mending power, her living enough to have grown an old woman post-mending, and then her making her deal with Bolas. So there's a high end there of, I'd like to be generous and say, like high end of 150, 160 years, and a low end of um, 40 years since um, Nissa had been aligned with Ashaya for 40 years, and um, the Great Aurora had taken place after the mending. So it's like... It's a whole thing. There are, there's a lot to it, obviously. So least favorite thing though, um, let me think. I know we don't like to bring up negatives too often because yeah, Wizards have been doing a fantastic job just all around. Uh, I don't know. Like my least favorite would 
probably end up being that Dovan Bon is not clearly a villain or a hero yet because I feel like he's he exists to be a plant for um, some kind of Phyrexia in the future. And that was a big part of my theory a while back was just that Dovan Bon will be a leader of Phyrexia, father of machines within the next 10 years. Mm. Um, he has the attention to detail that they would need um, I don't think he's too attached to his own flesh. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, I mean that small thing about Planeswalk. Phyrexian yeah. is being unable to Planeswalk, but... Yeah. Um, I haven't actually... Because, again, confusing Planeswalking physics. What used to be the case was that Planeswalkers were immune to the glistening oil prior to the mending because they didn't have physical bodies that were on the plane, mm. except for Karn who was the was most important exception to ever have in that case. Um, and Karin ended up dripping the oil everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but he wasn't infected. He was simply dripping it around. Um, and then post-mending, you have um, Tezzeret, who was sent to New Phyrexia and then given it an antidote to slow any kind of phyresis that would happen. So we don't know for sure right now. It's kind of in a limbo, as far as I know. Um, I don't know that if there's been a clear answer, but again, more and more complicated things for very minimal value. So with what we know now, what are you expecting from Ether Revolt? Just kind of broad strokes, because I don't know if we want to get too specific on yeah. what's going to happen there. Um, obviously, Ajani joins the Gatewatch. He is the most obvious candidate outside of somebody, um, outside of, who was I mean, Sahili, yeah, she's... Um, she seems too free-spirited. Yeah, to tie herself down. And she seems um, really invested in Kaladesh at the moment, but that might change. Um, we, I guess Ajani having a Planeswalker card in Aether Revolt is obvious. Ajani having an Oath card in Aether Revolt. Um, Tezzeret having a card in Aether Revolt. A Rebellion theme, which I think is the return of Rebel as a creature type but not mechanically the return of Rebel as a creature type. Rebels were not um, exceptionally balanced, but we have the potential to bring them back and possibly give them a new mechanical identity. Whether people will enjoy that or combine it with other Rebels, um, yet to be seen. It, it's yet to be seen if they're even in the set, but you don't get um, a whole Rebellion without some Rebel cards, I believe. That would be really sweet. I mean, again, like we don't need the rebels that go go up the chain, get the get all the good rebels. Yes, um, I don't think there's any modern playable ones. You have, <laughs> I think we have Big Game Hunter, and then uh, have some of the higher rank tutor rebels. Um, there's a few from Time Spiral where you can go get like um, Bound in Silence, which was the tribal yes. rebel pacifism. Two OP for modern. <laughs> when you're on turn six, Bound of Silence with your rebel. Yeah. But I mean. It'd be fun to try it out, and it'd be fun to reintegrate them without um, the mechanical identity tie over from pre-mending magic. Not really pre-mending as much as pre-modern, yeah. largely. And then uh, I guess the other big question that we have is, you don't think we're getting Phyrexians in Aether Revolt. Do you think we see Phyrexians at some near point in the future? Because, I mean, there's some pretty, pretty big plants here that are pushing in that direction. Yes. So Phyrexians are going to be within the next five years. And it's really, really safe to say that because they're advancing at two blocks per year. Like, that gives you a lot of exhaustion in the villains. 
Um, but yeah, Phyrexians, not on New Phyrexia. That's my only restriction. New Phyrexia is a great place. Um, I wouldn't visit there personally, but it is also a story that is largely done with. Um, you have Koth fighting it out there, and we don't really know why because he's not going to regain his plane. Um, but we'll see how it goes because I just don't think New Phyrexia has a story to tell, and using that, um, using Rashmi's teleporter is the obvious um, invasion tactic once they give it time to develop itself. So then is, is Phyrexia going to a plane we know? Is it probably is a, it plane a different plane that maybe Karn is, is visiting, trying to make sure that Phyrexia doesn't rise there? Yeah, um, it would probably be a familiar plane just because they need the um, not so much tropiness, but parallels that would be drawn. Mm-hmm. Getting your Darksteel Colossus, getting your Blightsteel Colossus, you obviously want to have people familiar with um, whatever existed on the plane beforehand and introducing it in one set and then introducing Phyrexian Invasion in the next set is kind of unclean. At the same time, Phyrexian Invasion doesn't mean re-Phyrexianization of a plane. You can have Phyrexians take over a plane without the centuries it takes glistening oil to corrupt an entire plane. So Phyrexians versus Ravnica. Got it. Jot it down for five years yeah. from now. <laughs> Ravnica is just... I feel like Ravnica has to end up being the Nexus. So... Um, we well, I know knew they that, said that Dominaria is like the center of the yeah, multiverse. Yeah, so Dominaria is the nexus. Um, last we saw, Ravnica's pretty close. And Ravnica just has a lot of potential. And Mark Rosewater had said that one of the endings that didn't involve Jace being the guild pact for Return to Ravnica block involved um, the multiverse realigning itself around Ravnica. So Ravnica would be the new nexus. Huh. Uh, and that would make it specifically hard for Niv-Mizzet to keep things down, because Niv-Mizzet doesn't know about Planeswalkers. If right. you have the most mana-rich center um, of the multiverse be Ravnica, and Planeswalkers are coming in and out constantly, it would eventually reveal the truth to him. Well, I guess that also gets into the the even weirder idea of where exactly are the planes next to each other? Like, is it harder to get from Ravnica to Kamigawa as it is from Kamigawa or from Kamigawa to Theros, like... I think we had... Um, well, I know a lot of people use Chandelar as proof, but Chandelar is the only plane that we know is a rogue plane, moving right. its... Like, changing its location constantly. <laughs> Outside of that, like, I don't think a multiverse map would help. It even varies by planeswalkers. Like, some planeswalkers um, experience planeswalking as a portal opening to a new world, and then some experience it by going into the blind eternities and like aiming for a plane and that might just be differences across authors but at the same time it's a cool detail to have in there because it just doesn't give them a set location yeah and we have to also discover why the nexus matters in the first place or rediscover that fact for ravnica to either ever be the nexus all right well any final thoughts on the kaladesh block Hmm. i don't know I hope Tezzeret. I hope Tezzeret's gone by Act Two, because <laughs> I love the no guy. Tezzeret. Yeah, like I, I hope he flees the plane, but at the same time, mm. like him locking himself away in a spire isn't going to be leaving fast enough. Fair enough. <laughs> there you go. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us this week while Ian is out raising money for the children. Yes, thank you kindly. And if Desert Bus is still going on by the time this goes live. 
Um, I don't know how I many. I think they days still have they like forty-eight this. hours at least to go. There you go. So you have at least a day after this podcast to go there and donate. Yeah. As of recording, they are currently at three hundred thirty-three thousand five hundred fifty-six dollars raised, and they have forty-five hours left to go. So there you go. that's a clean day after this is posted. Easy, easy. So, Carrie, if people wanted to find you on social media, I'll find your articles. Where can they do that? Um, I'm on Gathering Magic, just as myself. I'm on Twitter, at Ronos. Um, I have a Tumblr. Sometimes use it, sometimes don't. And I also have a new website, which will be launching launching at some point soon. Fancy. Yes. It's ambiguous because I have had issues with it. <laughs> <laughs> Web dev can be really rough sometimes. Yeah, I had a server transfer that ended up botching a whole bunch of internal links that I had. So Ouch. we're moving on from there. All right. Well, you guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. I also have that same uh, Twitch handle, but it, I haven't streamed. So that's still on the to-do list in the future. So be on the lookout. Um, if you want to reach the podcast directly, you can find us on Twitter at Eyes on the Mice, or if you have a more personal question, you can send us an email at eyesonthemise at gmail.com. Thanks again to Carrie for jumping in. Please go watch Desert Bus. It's awesome. And we will talk to you all next time.